0: Thank you, team. For leading us so well this morning, appreciate it. Well, you've heard already. This is a second Sunday of Advent, and it's also Communion. And so, uh, after the sermon, uh, we're going to commune together. And if you're at home and you have uh, some elements—bread or juice—you uh, might want to get that ready so you can partake of communion together as a sign of our unity, uh, no matter how far and wide we are scattered uh, this morning. It's a uh, second son of Advent, and our path we are well on our way uh, to Christmas. And yet this year is very different. Uh, our path to Christmas has taken many twists and turns. Uh, things that we anticipated or expected uh, just haven't materialized it. If you would have told me in March that December we'd still be here, uh, the pandemic would still require restrictions, requiring an empty sanctuary, I, I would have I would have been very skeptical. It would have been hard for me to believe. And yet here we are. Before the pandemic, the path to Christmas. Maybe included a trip to the mall, right? Driving around, trying to find parking, uh, waiting a long time. And then once you get into the mall, you're crowded with a bunch of other people, and you're waiting in line. You hear Christmas carols being sung by people dressed as if they came out of a a Christmas carol uh, book. It's just very different this year. Maybe our path to Christmas in years past included uh, those festive Christmas parties, office parties, where there'd be an exchanging of gifts and sharing of food and mistletoe, and all those things, or maybe gathered together with family and friends from your neighborhood, and you would sing together or raise a glass of cheer by a warm fire. Travel corridors would be would be jammed, people hustling their way in the airport and driving on the highways. I know our family, we would typically leave and, and go visit uh, with my brother or my sister so we could be close with family. Maybe some would travel to see grandma and grandpa in another state. Today, our way to Christmas has gotten very complicated. Travel restrictions, canceled holiday parties, limits on many how many people can be in a supermarket at one time. There's no gathering with friends and family. We are on a very different path to Christmas this year. The Things we expect to be doing by this time have all come to a halt. Our uncertain way to Christmas this year can have an effect on our faith. I don't know about you, but there are times that I'm, I feel like I'm wandering through a wilderness or I, I'm living in exile, just an unpredictable land, almost like... And I know I'm not alone. I know that we all feel this way, the disappointment, the loss, the grief, and the duration of this year's COVID-19 path to Christmas. At the very least, it's inconvenient. At the worst, though, it's life-altering heartbreak. People have lost their lives, families, devastating. Lifelong businesses seem to be evaporating. And there seems to be no end. The suspension of something that we anticipated, we hit these low points, and we wonder, God, are you there? Are you paying attention to what's going on here? Do you know what we're going through? Has God just lost interest? Yes, in our time and our place, as a believing community, our path to Christmas is as if we're walking and wandering through a desert. And yet, that's not uncommon for the believing community, for God's people. In fact, throughout the story of God and God's people, there seems to be a, a time when God speaks to his people in and through the desert, the wilderness, and in those moments, God speaks most clearly and tenderly to his people. That is indeed what the context is in our Christmas story this morning. It comes from the Gospel of Mark. And if, I want to encourage you, if you're at home with your family, to, to open up God's Word, find your Bible, and maybe get a notepad out. There's a particular character in this morning's Christmas story. And, and kids or adults, I want you to maybe think about drawing this character, what you imagine this character looks like. I know some of you kids out on the patio right now, I'm expecting to see some pictures of this particular character that emerges here in the wilderness. Mark chapter 1. In the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from all the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair. Here we go, kids. Start drawing this guy. Camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We may question Mark's navigational ability here. Why are we we're going to Christmas and now we're having to go through a desert? We look back and we go, this is the story of, of Jesus' birth. Where's the, where's the animals in the manger? Where's the baby Jesus? Where's Mary and Joseph? Where are the wise men and the, the shepherds and the angelic host? They're not here in Mark's Christmas story. All we get is this wild eyed guy out in the desert pounding pot, pots and pans and, and yelling, eats bugs. And yet, Mark wants us to go out into the desert. When I toured Israel years ago, we drove right through this area. And he pointed out, and I remember the tour guide said, well, this is the area. And I'm like, I don't want to get out of the air-conditioned bus that I'm in. That does not look pleasant out there. There's nothing but desolation and, and scarcity and harsh terrain. But for Mark, in writing this account, this gospel account, to the church, there are some very important spiritual resources out in the desert that he does not want them to miss out on, on their way to Christmas. It's like Mark is telling us, there's no way to get to Christmas unless you go through the desert. So what is it out there in the desert? What does Mark want us to experience, or what does Mark want us to know? Three things. First, in the wilderness, we learn the source of comfort. We learn the source of comfort. Looking back at our text, Mark has drawn upon the Old Testament. He he quotes Isaiah, a prophet. See, I'm sending a messenger ahead of you to prepare the way. The messenger is needed Why is a messenger needed? Why is a messenger needed to to prepare the way? What's the occasion? You see, at the time, God's people were under a lot of pressure. They were exiled. They were deported from a foreign land, from their hometown, their villages. What was familiar to them, the things that brought them comfort in their lives, have all been taken from them. And now they're exiles, refugees, refugees and foreign captors, and have have driven them away from their safe, familiar situation. They're in the wilderness, and it's hostile. It's a desert, and in this desert, this is where God speaks to them. God's message in Isaiah begins with God saying, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to them. So now in this unpredictable desert, God becomes their comfort where all else has failed. In the wilderness, it has a unique refining function, doesn't it? An ability to strip away what we normally relied upon to bring us comfort. Perhaps it's those things that we depended on, that we got accustomed to, those, those thoughts, those ideas, uh, maybe are uh, things that would nudge their way into our faith, uh, Helped us reflect on our own self-sufficiency. Well, I got this. I'm in control. Holding us back from a deeper faith, a deeper trust in the God of comfort. Comfort my people. Comfort. Speak tenderly to them. For Mark, the church is on its way to Christmas, must go through the desert to hear God's tender voice of comfort deal with our own powerlessness, dependence on God, and dependence on God for every breath. As Matthew prayed, every breath we take comes from God, is a gift from God. Mark is convinced there's, uh, this is where our true comfort lies. I quote this often. It's from uh, our, a catechism. It's found in the Presbyterian Book of Confessions. And it starts like this. What is your only comfort in this life? And in death. What is your only comfort in this life and in death? That I am not my own, but body and soul, in life and in death, that I belong to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. I belong to my faithful Savior. What is your only comfort? It begins like that. As one biblical scholar states, the word comfort is not some sentimental notion that tranquilizes us from life's anxieties. It's not uh, consoling like, okay, dear, it's okay, everything's going to be okay. No, the term used for comfort is much more robust, much deeper. It implies a strengthening, a strengthening of our faith, a strengthening of our faith and our trust in God, a powerful intervention that creates new possibilities that's revealed to us out in the desert. (laughs) Swiss theologian Karl Barth, as he comments on this catechism, it shows us how to stand on our feet again. I really like that. It shows us how to stand on our feet again. It invites us out from behind our coping mechanisms. and calls us to stand as children of the living God and trusting God alone for our comfort, capable of taking on life with hope, with joy, even in the midst of uncertainty. Paul states in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the comfort that God brings. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that, and here he says, and so that we can now comfort others in the troubles that they face the comfort that we have received. That is the comfort we find on our way to Christmas. The second thing we find, the resource that we find out in the wilderness that will sustain our faith in the midst of exile, in the midst of trouble, in the wilderness is a place of repentance and forgiveness. It's a place of repentance and forgiveness. A, a place where we can reckon with sin. Now, some of you might say, "You know, Pastor John, we're on our way to Christmas. Why do we got to talk about sin? You pastors, you always want to talk about sin." How's that good news? Well, the kind of sin that John is talking about here, and he's calling the people to repent from, and by the way, a lot of people are going out there. They there's a buoyancy in John's message of repentance. It's not a repelling type of message. It's a good news message and people are flocking out to to receive that message. And the repentance that he's talking about allows us to commune with God, to be restored unto God through our confession and receiving of repentance and receiving of forgiveness. Here's a personal story. This past week, a good friend of mine and I, we had a misunderstanding. And I miscommunicated. And I said some things that probably were not appropriate. And we both were hurt. We value this relationship. And yet, I hurt them. And they were hurt. And, you know, I started to project my hurt and transfer on them and you know, blame. and You know, the whole bit. Finally, I confessed. I said, I am sorry. I apologize for what I said. I apologize for hurting you. Please forgive me. What did that do? It created a, a way for restoration. That's what confession is, it it's, creates an opening for restoration and reconciliation. So now that relationship that brought so much comfort in my life is now restored. That's what Mark wants us to see out in the desert in our repentance, so that relationship, the God of comfort, can be restored in our lives so that we can have that comfort and that peace. That's why they're flocking out there. They want to be reassured of God's presence in their lives. Now in the desert, we find where our true source of comfort is. Out in the desert is a place of repentance and forgiveness. And out of the, the third thing that happens out in the desert, the third resource that Mark wants us to see, the church to live into, is that in the wilderness we begin to see we begin to see what really matters in our lives. I know this to be true. I've spoken to enough of you about this pandemic and and what's going on in your life and the difficulties that you're facing, and yet many of you have shared with me how some things that you thought were so important uh, now have just kind of been set to the side, and you're able to maybe focus in on the importance of relationship, the importance of what brings you joy, a sense of an opportunity for us to really reflect on what matters in our lives. Those projects that we maybe had excuses of delaying before. Oh, I'll do that when uh, the kids are older or oh, I'll do that when I have more. I'll go to the school and learn that trade or that skill when I have more money or when I have more time. You know what I'm talking about. Out in the desert things get focused on what truly matters, and what truly matters in our faith as well. The fellowship, the prayer, the communing with God in our lives. Out of the desert, we realize what is important. Maybe that's why Mark wants us to go through the desert on our way to Christmas this year. Desert places is a path that we can hear the voice of God crying out in the wilderness to to us, calling us, beckoning us in our relationship with him. That he has not abandoned us, that he loves us and cares for us and wants and desires for us to be comforted, to be strengthened in our trust, in our daily trust of him. You know, that's what Jesus was teaching his first disciples. As they wandered through Galilee and and through uh, Palestine, he was teaching them about God and the comfort that God brings in their lives and what really matters in their lives. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered together with his disciples to remind them of the God of comfort, to remind them of the power that is available to them in this unity as they come together together for this meal he washed their feet and then they reclined together at the table and had a meal and Jesus he took the bread and after giving thanks he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said this is my body broken for you whenever you eat of this remember me Friends, if you have a fellowship cup, you can just peel off the top layer. And if you have bread at home, go ahead and take your piece of bread and then let's partake together, remembering. In the same way, after the meal, Christ took the cup. He said, This cup is a new covenant. In my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, remember me. Whenever you take this in and the blessing of this, be reminded that this is a cup of a new covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins, that we might be restored unto God and sustained and strengthened in our life together. Let's take the cup together as a sign of our unity. Friends, whenever we eat of the bread and we drink of the cup, we together proclaim the birth, the life, the death of our risen Lord until he comes again. This table is a gift. It's been given to us, and we respond in gratitude. And I want to thank you for all of your continued uh, giving, giving of your life, uh, your time and your talent and your financial resources to help us continue the mission that God has called us as a community of faith. So thank you for your giving. Thank you. And we are grateful for your loyalty and your love. Allow me to pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this table, and we thank you that you have sustained us through this meal together. God, I pray that all the gifts that that we share, uh, that they continue to be a, a beacon of light and hope and love and comfort to our world as you have called us together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Joy to the world